right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. Got a fun episode for you here to recap the 2021 year. Had to bring in our main man, Kyle Porter. He was on to help us recap the major championships, of course. And uh, he actually wrote a book on the 2021 season. It's called A Normal Sport. Might be called Normal Sport. It's at anormalsport.com is where you can pick it up. We talk some about that. It's a delightful read. It's an easy read. It's a beautiful time capsule of the year. And he's got to do one of these every year now because we're going to need these. The illustrations are fantastic. Greatly appreciate him coming on talking about it. On the NLU front, Neil and I have an alternate shot event, a foursomes event coming up shortly. We have a deep and rich discussion uh, on what golf ball we're going to use. I prefer the ChromeSoft Truvis golf ball. He uses the ChromeSoft X with the triple track technology. I like a golf ball that is softer feel, feels soft on my putter face, doesn't spin as much. I don't like my wedges coming backwards too much and launches a little bit higher. That's why I end up with the Chrome Soft. A lot of people tell me I should play the Chrome Soft X. I don't necessarily disagree. It's just a total feel thing for me. I've spent the last couple weeks trying to get used to his golf ball. A lot of people coming up to me saying, like, Solly, you're just an incredible teammate. I, I can't believe the sacrifice you're willing to make. I'd love to play in a team event with you. Uh, but listen, I, I got, I'm, a, I'm committed to Neil as my partner, and I'm a, committed to making the ChromeSoft X work. It's, it's kind of a little weird to me to see the golf ball spin as much as it does. Feels a little bit more firm on putts. I got to get used to the feel around that and watching the ball check up a little bit more on chips around the greens. Callaway's got a great golf ball selector tool on their website at callawaygolf.com to help you identify which Chrome Soft would be good for you. They also have the Chrome Soft LS, which is the firmer feel but doesn't spin as much. The options are endless. So, again, check that out, callawaygolf.com. Hopefully, having some video content from this tournament as well so we can see how this uh, little experiment works out. Without any further delay, here is Kyle Porter. All right, this is what happens when uh, you know you don't have a fall with needing to be covering Oklahoma State football. Kyle Porter sits <laughs> around and says, "I, I got to write a book on golf. Tell us about uh, tell us about normal sport. Where does normal sport come from? It's become your go-to meme. I just wanted I want to hear your history of that." Well, speaking of Oklahoma State, I've lost my voice because <laughs> I took my son to uh, his first college football game on Saturday. Oklahoma State Baylor, AT and T. You know, Oklahoma State loses by like two inches. They couldn't get the pylon on fourth down uh, on uh, on Baylor's goal line, which was a very kind of normal sport event to happen. Like <laughs> pylon cam. This this five months of guy like these elite athletes grinding in the weight room and and you know working on all their plays and all this stuff, and it comes down to two inches of a, of a pylon cam. Um, so I. Honestly, like, like all great bits, I don't totally know where, uh, the golf normal sport thing started. It, it, it it's kind of turned into this thing of every time the, the one that I think of a lot is when they bring out the, uh, the string, the string to, measure, that's what you're <laughs> to measure if a guy's still in bounds after he's hit a drive on like a fence line or whatever. And you're just like, you, you start to take some of the events that happen in golf out of the context that we live in every day and you're like wait a second this is really weird like this is not a normal thing to happen but because it's inside the context that you and i are in all the time we kind of just normalize it and move on and then you have like beach balls and sandcastles on the on the 18th tee box at the Wyndham, which is in landlocked greensboro north carolina and you're like wait a second, this is actually really weird. And yeah, it's just become kind of the bit that I use on, on Twitter and, and otherwise. Well, it's a sport that, you know, you, you traverse so much area, uh, you know, like across, you know, so many different events, golf courses are vast and, and spread out wide. It's not like, you know, going to go see the Charlotte Hornets play on the same dimension court that they play out at the crypto.com building out which is formerly the staples center now like it uh 
it, and there's so much stuff that like in the moment it makes a ton of sense. Like, oh, Spieth hit it down on the bank. Uh, he's got to take his. He's going to be standing in the water. He's got to take his shoes off to hit the shot. And then if you just like look at if you're just scrolling something and you see like somebody with a golfer with their shoes off standing in the water, it makes no sense at all. But uh, I, you know what I love is you're not like I, I may have said this on our major recap pod, but you're not an enormous golfer. Like you don't play a lot of golf. You don't. You didn't grow up playing golf, and you have this like weird appreciation for for golf that makes me feel like my time spent watching it and covering it is more worthwhile. I just love that. Yeah. I, thanks for saying that. I I think the I think what you hit on there with like golf being outdoors and it's always at a different place and it always looks different. Like there's a there's so many variable variables there that lend themselves to like there's just you, you don't find that many variables at other events yeah you go to different baseball parks and they they're they look different there maybe maybe you got a hill in center field that's a normal sport they thing took that uh, out that was bullshit yeah <laughs> but you, you just you have so many different variables to the point i the thing i thought you were going to bring up with speed is him uh almost running into a lake after hitting <laughs> a ball against the side of a hill uh, with his with his club and I mean from the beginning though like golf you think about where the way it started was like basically trying to avoid hitting sheep in a field in Scotland and you're like well, this is this is so weird like it's it's really and truly like the mo the strangest and and most bizarre sport I think and and I think that's a lot of what you know makes it fun and I think it's why I you know, we push back a lot against like, Hey, let's, let's try not to make every event look exactly the same. Like that's not the goal here. And I think I've actually come to appreciate the Olympics because of that. And I think you might've had something on this as well, but it's like, yeah, is the Olympics the open? No, of course not. But it's, it's different. It's other, it's kind of a category of its own. And that's a unique and cool thing that, that I think I appreciate more now than I did back in 2016 when it when it got ramped back up. Well, it's interesting that it's it's as close to winner take all as we get. Like fourth place is equal to 60th place. You both get yeah. nothing, and you're fighting for three medals. Whereas fourth place in a regular PGA Tour event gets comes with a six figure paycheck. And uh, I don't know for in that regard, it's kind of it's I I don't think I've viewed it that way prior leading up to it, and I've. No, but it, it, for other reasons, I've not been able to watch Olympic golf either time the, that either year it's been in there. But I did joke in the book that if if we awarded medals in regular events like we do at the Olympics, that Louis Ustazen would be like the seventh best golfer of all time. That's that's interesting. Which which would be I th I do think I, I want I want to know what you think about how we could we could just do this for like five hours, but. I'm curious about what you think. I think sometimes in regular tour events, we we don't value second and third highly enough. And I really like that the Olympics, it, it's very different because there's the money is is obviously different. But I, I think we need to, there, there needs to be a way to value second and third more highly. You beat 154 guys in a week and you get nothing other than like the money that comes. I, I, I just... I love evaluating guys' careers, and I just think there needs to better, be a better way to do that for runner-up and third-place finishes. It's why I end up in the, all these female debates. It's like, wait a second here. We can't <laughs> – T25 is not the same as T2. Like, it's just a very different thing. I think a lot of that's on, on TV to, like, tell that story. I think the tour should own that a little bit more. I think also in the same way – like you, you, and you know, I'm reading through your book and you're talking about the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Joaquin Neiman won that. Oh, no, no, he didn't. Troy Merritt won that. Oh, no, no, sorry, he didn't. Cam Davis won that. That's right. Like, <laughs> I can't even keep track of who wins it. So, like, maybe I think I would care a lot more about who finishes second and third. And with that many events, it's just hard to, I don't know, properly, properly place it. But yeah, uh, we got to talk Louie. That's another big takeaway I have from reading all that is just like, how much that guy's um, you know name comes up and how it just doesn't quite feel right the more I evaluate his career. But why why write a book about the 2021 golf season? What 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 inspired this? Yeah, it's a good question. So there are two things. I think the first was actually a conversation that you and I had after the Open Championship. We were talking about uh, I kind of made the point that I think in 25 years people will look back 
if they want to know what happened in 2021 or 2022 or whatever, they'll look back on your podcast or, you know, maybe the shotgun start. They're doing their year in review stuff right now as kind of the uh, time capsule for what happened in that year. And the more I thought about that, the more I was like, man, I'd love to play a part in that. I'd love to create a sort of, hey, this is like all the stuff that mattered to, to us, you know, idiots like us uh, in 2021 when it comes to golf. And it also gave me an opportunity to just kind of express some other thoughts that I had about the Open, about I wrote a ton about the Ryder Cup, shockingly, that I didn't. It, it's hard when you're on deadline and you're writing stuff in the moment you don't have any, you don't, you can't contextualize things. You can't put them in their proper place. And so this was an opportunity to, to do that. And because it's a lot of fun, you know, I was talking to my wife, we were on a road trip and this was really actually kind of the genesis of it. I said, Hey, do you, do you remember who won the masters? And she's, she gets enough, you know, from me just yammering all day to know who who won different things like that and she couldn't remember and it, and it's just like so much stuff happens in such a short amount of time that even when i was going back through everything and and looking at people's tweets and reading articles um i was like i i did not remember that bryson uh, had an umbrella guy run with his ball on this green at kapalua to start the year you're like that that's hilarious. It's crazy. Somebody needs to document it. And so it was just, for me, it was so much fun to, to walk back through the year and uh, remember all those insane things that happened and, and try to document them in a, in a fun way. It's a very interesting read in, in the terms of, it's just kind of a, it's, it runs like a timeline and it, it says what people were saying at the time. It includes tw tweets. There's a ton of Justin Ray stats that, that pop out and it, it, it does kind of, uh, when when we cover stuff week to week, like you said, I kind of look back. I'm like, wow, I, we did some podcasts, whatever. But gosh, I just like put tweets out into the ether, and it's just very unrewarding. <laughs> By the end of it, it's like it just is going to sit there forever. But like you go back and read it six months later, like never is it as funny as you thought it was when you posted it. <laughs> if you go out and pick the best ones and put them into uh, like a storytelling mode, it's like, oh gosh. I I said that, man. That was kind of interesting. I'm kind of proud of myself for that one. Well, I, I'm gl I'm glad you said that because I think I think the way that we use Twitter is it's been great for us because I mean we've talked about this like we've both kind of built up careers in a lot of ways on that platform, but it's also just I I think you know and I, and I mentioned this in the book, but I think a lot of people that we associate with use Twitter as kind of a testing grounds for stuff that they either want to talk about on a podcast later, uh, maybe talk about on a broadcast later, write about in a column. And it ends up being, to me, kind of the best stuff, you know, the, the best stuff that's out there that gets pulled into these different places. And I just, I don't know that we always use Twitter correctly. And, and what I mean by that is like the jokes are funny in the moment. It's fun to be scrolling during the final round of the US Open. But I think Twitter as a repository for information to go back and, and look back on, like I tried to leverage its ability to be a repository for all this best stuff. And then kind of, cause you can't, you don't want to just like take screenshots of tweets and make a book out of it. You want to contextualize <laughs> I would read it. that actually though. <laughs> I, yeah, that I should have, sh that would have been a lot easier, honestly, but you want to contextualize it and kind of give like some color around it. And so that's that's basically what I tried to do, along with reading articles and, and getting information from other places uh, throughout this book. Well, uh, Twitter, the, the very best of Twitter can still be really, really freaking good, right? But you have to sift through these days, especially so much, you know, stuff that is just bogs you down and isn't that interesting and, and all that. Like, but every now and then, you know, that it, it almost kind of waters it down when you, when somebody does hit you with just a you know, the, the proper Elmo GIF use, which I got, I have to full confession. That's your baby. And I've run that one into the ground and I will continue <laughs> to do that. But uh. I, I, I'm curious about what you think about, do you, do you sense that some of your bits that you have come up with over the years, do you feel them getting old? Do you feel a desire to constantly like reinvent what you're saying or how you're saying it? Yes. But also like, I don't know how to, do that right like i don't do a lot of tour sauce stuff anymore just because it 
you know, I feel like that kind of somewhat run its course, but I don't know. I'm like, I, my life has changed a lot. Like I don't sit around and think of memes nearly as much as I did when I was 28 and starting and doing this now. Uh, thankfully, thankfully. Yeah. I, it's just, I, I focus more now on the podcast than, than, uh, than I do on Twitter, just because like I said, it's just not as, it's not as rewarding, but it is like, I don't know. There's still certain days where things just are a buzz and it's so much fun. And you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe I missed this. I got to get to a, you know, it can be such a, it's such a good gateway into like finding out what's going on in the sport. Cause you don't need to watch all of it. You really don't, but you feel like an idiot when you miss something crazy and you're, Oh gosh, that was 30 minutes ago. I missed it. There would have been a great opportunity there, whatever, but. Yeah, because I think I, the reward from and we 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 see this play out specifically in major weeks, but the reward from watching all of it is you get Greller and Spieth at the Hero on a Thursday afternoon, and Greller is just like, "Hey, if, did you see this this exchange?" Probably not. Catch me up. Spieth gets into the water to to get a uh, like he's hitting his ball out of like the side of the water kind of hill thing, and. He's going for the green and he's telling Greller and Greller's like, uh, if you were six under, do you think like, is this where you would hit that shot? And he goes, well, Michael, I'm not six under, am I? <laughs> and, and you just get Greller with this like thousand yard stare. And it's very like emblematic of their relationship and the way they communicate. But you get these like n rewarding nuggets if you are in it so much of the time. And that's where I struggle with like you know, how do you, how do I spend my time as I'm kind of like trying to cover all this, but find little stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff that you wouldn't put in a column or you wouldn't really write about ends up going into a book like this, because I think it's the funniest and, and, and maybe most interesting stuff. So I don't, I just went on a tangent there, but that's, that's a lot of like kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about using Twitter as like a repository for the most interesting things. Well, because we, now we go back and do these topic-based pods every now and then, and uh, it involves some research for the most part, and going back going back in time and reading about either certain characters, people, or just events that have happened. Like, I find myself in Rick Riley columns all the freaking yeah. time. Like yeah. he, and I wonder about that for our generation, like the people that are, are doing this writing like almost everything I do, especially on the podcast front, is like very, it's not very evergreen, right? I mean, some a lot of the interviews you can always go back and listen to, but like Sunday night pods are like meant to be listened to right there. And I feel like that's the way things are just trending in this world and that people aren't necessarily publishing something or doing something that has a long shelf life. That's what I think this book is different from. And I'm gonna I am gonna hold you to it to, to write one of these every year now because it's just a great <laughs> it's just a great look back at how the year unfolded. I mean it was it was almost so overwhelming of a year, especially the way it started. I mean it was just hit after hit after hit this winter. I mean I don't know about you. We always see big upticks in engagement listens you know, likes, retweets, all that stuff from January to March. I mean, people are just ready to take golf in at that time of the year. And we would get hit with, I don't know, what's your biggest story from the winter? Is it the return of Spieth that's like, is it real? Is he, you know, just kind of holding on and making all these putts to Bryson driving it over the pond at Bay Hill, Reed with at Farmers, with the rules official sticking his finger inside a depression. <laughs> It just like was nonstop this winter, and uh, JT I at the players. Yeah, JT, the players. JT in Hawaii was an enormous thing. Obviously, yeah, like, it was. Yeah. Just, there was absolutely a, a just content for days, and it, it needed to be documented in the book. Kevin Na went in the Sony. I mean, who could who could forget that? Truly, if you'd have just quizzed me on like we usually do, like a little <laughs> quiz. We maybe start the New Year pod with like who won this event. I wouldn't have gotten it. I just said Russell Henley for whatever reason. I felt like oh for sure. I, Russell Henley's won the Sony more than Spieth has won the Masters. Even though I think both of them have only won one of each. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, it, I don't. I don't know. Did you mention Max Homo at uh, didn't get your to. boy? I was I was I was talking for too long and I couldn't even get through everything. <laughs> one of the one of the cool. And I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to uh, Jason Page is the illustrator of this book, and the illustrations are—he's he, this very unique person where he's really gifted with like design, but he's also like too deep into this stuff. Like he we gets are. the memes, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, like the nuance with which he creates these illustrations is unbelievable. And there's a great one, and I, I, I texted it to Max, and he, he said he loved it, but it was. 
Remember when Max's ball was up against the tree in the on the first playoff hole at Riviera? The illustration is because because Max said he called his wife after he missed the three footer, maybe two footer on eighteen, and she said, "Hey, forgive quickly." And I was like, "Oh, that's such a it's not forget quickly; it's forgive yourself quickly." And I was like, "That's such a great like golf and life mantra." And and Jason made it into an illustration, and it and it's it's. I don't know, man, like I'm just, I'm so excited and I hope that excitement comes out in the way I've been talking about this and, and tweeting about it and whatever, but I'm so excited about uh, being able to, like you said, document all these things that happened, looking back on them. How rarely do we look back on stuff that happened 10 months ago and have the context like a Phil win at the PGA where you're like, oh, in the moment, it was so hard to wrap our minds around. And now that we have six months, seven months away from it. Like oh this was this was even more insane than than we could have possibly understood in the moment. That, so that comes I think across. There's a lot the book. of like of, yeah, of, well, I yeah. was going to ask you what your biggest like takeaways were revisiting some of these things. And for me, reading it, it was like oh my god, we got like I know we did our major recap pod. We got to talk more about Phil Akiwa. Like it's kind of it's kind of like the Tiger 2019 Masters. Like we should start every pod at least saying this out loud. Like Phil won the 2021 PGA Championship. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was, it was, and I, I, you had a tweet about it that was like, imagine telling yourself on January 1st, 2019, that we'd get another Tiger and Phil major, not win, but major. And I think that, yeah, I mean, the Phil thing stood out. I, the Bryson um, being a through line throughout the year, and that's part of the illustration is like, there's all these, he's always popping up with just stuff. I mean, he, he's, he's the content king for a reason, but I had forgotten about, I had forgotten about the uh, the the aliens, the spaceship thing. Yeah, at, like we, uh, people kind of got a little tired. Like, didn't even. All right, well, I know you just said something totally batshit crazy. We're not even <laughs> going to address that one. Okay, let's, let's focus more on the two hundred eight thing. Like UFOs, that's actually pretty on brand for you. I, I know you want some attention here. We're not going to give it to you. Like, I, I know you want to say you want to live to one hundred and forty. We're not even going to really address that one. Like, let, let's stay focused on you know some of the odd core stuff going on here. Yeah, so we actually started out Jason and I thinking that kind of the Spieth roller coaster ride would be the through line of the year. Like, okay, really gets going basically at the beginning of February, starts in Phoenix, and it just goes until the Ryder Cup. It goes throughout the year. But the real through line, honestly, as I went back through everything, was Bryson. And that people may or may not like that, but that's just the reality of like he owned kind of that three-week stretch with uh, Bay Hill and the players. He leads the U.S. Open and finishes 25th. How, how, is, how did that happen, you know? And, and the stuff at, at the Open Championship with the drive. I mean, there was just – Driver sucks. And then even at the at – the, <laughs> the driver does say, and the Open just tweeted it out. Um, and then at the Ryder Cup, obviously, just wielding his driver like it was a sword going in the Smithsonian. Uh, he really was the through line. And – that's, I mean, honestly, uh, Bryson alone being the through line makes the book worth writing because you're like, that's, that's absurd. Like everything about that is absurd. So I don't know. I'm just saying a bunch of random stuff right now, but that's pretty much what I wanted to do today anyway. So it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know what, the what stood has, out to you the most. Um, I think it is how much, uh, major championships matter. Like, yeah, you, you don't talk a lot of, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of any other tournament uh, that, but you really slow things down for the majors, which again, it's really, uh, I, I think we're, we're getting led into what you have deemed to be the important parts of, of a year on the PGA tour or a year in golf. And that's super, it's super interesting to revisit who is leading after each of those rounds. Cause we want to like, you know, drill everything down to like, Oh yeah, John Rom, he won the U S open. Like it was Rom's week. He just did everything. It was like, no, dude, like Russell Henley was like, a really big factor in all this or Louie, Louie, Louie was the leader after rounds one, two and three at the open championship. And we remember it forever for Morikawa's dominance and another close call for Louie. And I've always just viewed major championships as I, I think I've, I, I've, I've told you this before, but like, I think I could go back to, to if you just like quiz me on like what all the way back to the two thousands, maybe even late nineties who won this major in this year. Like I could probably tell you, like it just is their tent poles in my golf experience. And it it's it's what's written on your tombstone and it really doesn't matter that much. And I think it, 
you know, it, it, we waver back and forth when we cover the sport week to week to week. You know, it can kind of somewhat blend in, but it really it, I don't think it ever fully will with majors for me. Yeah, I think that's right. And I really struggled. So I made like a you probably haven't gotten to this part yet, but I made like a basically an all NBA team for golf this year because I, I was so annoyed that Cantlay won the the player of the year over Rom because not even necessarily because of the of why it happened, but just there's no documentation that Rom mattered in 2021, like in terms of these awards or what, and maybe nobody cares about the PGA Tour Player of the Year, but there needs to be some sort of like, hey, here's the five guys throughout the year that were meaningful, that played the best golf or the most meaningful. And in that process, in doing that, I almost left Cantlay off that team. And the reason for that is one of his wins was the net tour championship. One of them was at the Memorial and he didn't, he didn't have any success at the majors. He didn't have a top 15. I know he didn't have a top 10 and the majors just matter. I, I ended up putting him on because he his mostly because he was second in strokes gained on the year. But even that is hard because Strokes gained, it doesn't pull everything in correctly because some of the majors have, you know, are lasered and some of them are not. Again, like imagine another sport like having all think about this, Sally. They're changing the rules for green reading books in the middle of the season. That's right. <laughs> the season started four months ago and they're changing it for, for January. Imagine the NFL being like, well, I know we started out this season saying this is pass interference, but actually this is pass interference, which that, that's probably a bad example because maybe they do do that, but and they don't yeah, change the – Yeah, like at the halfway point of the season, like, yeah, we're, we're changing this hand-checking rule is now different, you know, for the remainder of this year. And again, it, because of the – because everybody's in it day-to-day, -day, I, like I think my – if I have a skill in this, it's being able to see something, pull it out, and say, hey, like hold it up and say, hey, this thing is absurd. And we don't really like comment on it being absurd because we just kind of go up, like let it be and go about our day. But that was really fun to kind of do as I went back through the year. Hmm. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Elijah Craig. They've introduced a new style of American whiskey. It's Elijah Craig Straight Rye. It's the first extra-aged Kentucky straight rye whiskey to join their award-winning portfolio. It's made with 51% rye grain instead of corn, which makes it a little bit spicier than bourbon. I'm more of a bourbon guy, but I do like a rye from time to time as well. You get aromas of dark chocolate with spices and a hint of smoke on the palate. You taste rich baking spices and honey with a smooth oak influence. It's exceptionally smooth, well-balanced. Balance makes for a great Manhattan. As a matter of fact, Elijah Craig Straight Rye was named one of 2020's top 10 whiskeys by Whiskey Advocate. Only in select markets for now, but will be available nationwide next year. So keep an eye out. If you see a bottle, give it a try. You will not be disappointed. No Laying Up is brought to you by Elijah Craig Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey, Bardstown, Kentucky, 47% alcohol by volume. Elijah Craig reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Let's get back to Kyle Porter. I want to know who's on your, uh, your all-NBA team for the year because... Not all golf is equal, right? And you can be Cantlay, you can be second strokes gain for the year. And like you played the second best golf of anyone in the world. Doesn't mean you had the biggest peak weeks. He happened to have several peak weeks, you know, where he won the tournaments, but did that come at the right time? How do you evaluate like Cantlay versus Morikawa, who just is not a strokes gain god, uh, you know, and yet like when he is on, he looks like the best player in the world. It's just hard to marry those things, I think, sometimes in terms of. You know, I, I just like, I don't know, make it too existential. I just like, I don't know what we're, what we're watching, right? Like, what are we, what are we rooting for? Are we, are we trying to identify the top five players? Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like we're watching all these individual events. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Like, think about it like this. Do you care? Like, is it more meaningful? I don't even know what the right words are to describe it, honestly, but is it more meaningful that somebody like, let's let, take it out to the extreme. And this is what I did a little bit. Are you a better golfer if you win three times a year and you miss the cut at the other 17 events or if you finish second in every event? Because I think traditionally we've said the first one is better, but that's not true. You're not better at golf than the second guy who finishes second in every event. But you did have like – this was the Rom thing. Rom was really good for seven straight months, like like historically good, like – the fourth best 150 round measured stretch since strokes gain were invented 
only Tiger, Ernie, and VJ had better runs than in kind of the last couple of years of Rom. And he only won once in 2021. And then you look at, at uh, even like, yeah, Morikawa is a good example. I think he finished 11th in strokes gain for 2021, but he won th uh, three times, four times uh, throughout the year because he had these really elite weeks. And so you're like, well, is it better to have a, an elite four day stretch or like some of the best golf we've ever seen for seven straight months? Right. And people I like honestly, wins, I, people like wins. I know, like, I don't know. Yeah, if, I don't know yeah. where I net out on that, but like it, uh, people really like, you know, when you do have the peak big weeks, you know, who, who would be on your all NBA team? If you just off the top of your head, if you had to make it, um, all NBA team is definitely Rom. Um, yep. It's Morikawa, um, yeah. for the reasons we, we mentioned there. Um, gosh, yeah, I'm, I'm a cheat sheet guy. I always have a cheat sheet in front of me and I feel like, I feel like I've got to miss someone here, but, <laughs> uh, honestly, it was like, what was, what was jarring is w w walking around the, the Ryder cup. And the, we found a little spot there on Sunday singles. We're watching guys cross over from two to three and from six to seven. I'm like watching can't go by and being like, Oh yeah, he's on this team too. Like it, I'm, I, it's Rom and it's the rest are Americans. I know that I, I, you know, is it DJ is DJ on your team? No. So I went Rom. Okay. I went Morikawa. Those were the two, those were the only two locks. Like these guys, there's no chance they're not on this team. Uh, Spieth was on Spieth, there. Of course he's on there. Not only because it's your team, and but also it feels deserved. Both. Yes. He mattered at the majors. He should have won the masters. I, I will never not say that he finished what 58th in putting that week. Uh, 51st out of 54 guys. Yes. I, I remember that one off the top of my head. So he's on there. He won. He mattered at the open. He just, he played good major championship golf and he was kind of the strokes gain leader for like from January on until Rom took over at the end of the summer. So he was, he was kind of the best player in the world for like four or five months. Uh, he's on there. He was pretty easy to put on there. And then the last two, I just, I, I'm embarrassed at how much time I spent like laboring over this, but I had, uh, I had Cantlay on there. Uh, I, I couldn't ignore how just quality he was and, and the fact that he actually did win. And then I had Hideki on there and Hideki was tough because he, he finished like 31st in strokes gain for the calendar year, but he had maybe the two two of the most meaningful wins of the last uh, two or three years in the Masters and the Zozo. The Zozo got buried, and I, that's it's unfortunate because it happens in the fall. No, it, it's the middle of the night. All these different things, but man, that was meaningful. I don't I don't think Hideki cared to win the Olympics more than the Zozo. I think he just wanted to win in Japan, and he did. And it was it was it was a cool end to his dream year. So. Because I had those two guys on there, I had to leave. I really wanted to put Louie on. I really wanted to put Kepka on because Kepka's major record alongside Louie, he had three top tens at majors. He won in Phoenix on that insane shot on, on uh, 17 on Sunday. He beat out Spieth there. And he had a – I mean, the, the attention goes to when he misses cuts at uh, non-majors, but he really had a pretty good year. Um, so I had to, those guys were on my second team along with – I think I'm getting this right. Bryson. I was going to say Bryson. Uh, Xander. Bryce, are we, is it 2021 only? Are we, or is it this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause Bryson didn't have a top 10 at a major though. Yeah. That hurts. He, uh, he, he only won one time in 2021, which feels like he won more frequently. He was yeah. a two time winner on the PGA tour season. Cause his U S open win in the fall counted towards that. But, and then he lost the playoff, the BMW championship, obviously to Cantlay. Had a really run, good run at the U.S. Open. The back nine didn't go great for him. And then he almost won the players too. Like Bryson had a pretty enormous season. Yeah, I think second. He just got a couple. Fair. He got a couple bad breaks at Tour. <laughs> it's just unlucky. Yeah, just just you know a couple couple balls didn't bounce his way. You make an eight on seventeen. Let's see who else. Do I have? Oh, I think Hovland was also on my second team. He had a really yeah. good year. I think I was just, I pulled up just the strokes gain over the last 12 months worldwide. It goes Rom, Cantlay, Spieth, Daniel Berger, fourth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Victor Hovland, Bryson, Paul Casey, Louis Ustason, JT, Xander, Cam Smith, Morikawa.
My third team was Phil because just because of the PGA. Uh, Berger, Rory, JT, and Scheffler was my third team. So I think Paul Casey was the highest strokes game that I didn't include on any of the three teams. It, it can't be said enough how much Phil stunk in 2021. I mean, he just not good, did absolutely nothing outside of winning that event. It Do you, do you again, we talked about this maybe five different times on this podcast, but <laughs> on other podcasts, but so you, you write in there about like, I don't believe too much and I'm with you on this and too much like major champions just have more heart, have whatever more grit. They just know how to get it done. But how else do you describe him winning that golf tournament? Well, when he plays his first event uh, in 2022, he will have, he will have one top 10 in the last 500 days of PGA tour golf. And it happens to be at a major and it happens to be a win at a major. And man, I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I really don't. And I think that, you know, Morikawa had this thing after the Open Championship where he said, listen, and I think you and I talked about this. He said, I'm not a great putter, but you see the same guys kind of rise up to the top at major championships because at majors, it's so much about um, self-belief and how, like how that affects your physiology on a weekend. And I think that a little bit took over for Phil. I really do. Like he, he, uh, and Xander had this great quote where he said, uh, Phil was, I can't remember the exact wording, but basically Phil's been telling himself that he's still got it for the last 25 years. And I said, listen, Xander, I said this in the book, Phil's going to be telling himself that he's still got it for the next 25 years. Like that's not a, that's not a past tense thing. And I think that that is like, when you're feeling the stuff that those guys feel on a Sunday at a major, I really do think that I think it matters. Maybe not as much as sports radio would like to have you think it matters, but I do think it it is meaningful and it does matter. And I don't know how else to explain somebody who so I don't think he was in the top 150 in strokes gained for 2021. Data golf includes like the top 150 and his name's not on there. And he wins the PJ championship. I, I don't know what to do. I don't that. know either. I mean, he, him and Andrew Novak famously were, were right next to each other <laughs> in the in the, uh, in the standings before, leading into the Ryder Cup, even after he won the PGA. But yeah, he is like, he's the dude that just broke this whole strokes gain model of like, yeah, you can play this bad. Can we dream for a second? Because you at least hinted at, touched on, and I kind of have rolled my eyes at this story for every time it's come up in the last however many years, but a Phil at the U.S. Open. Um, he won a major championship this last year. It's not outrageous to think that he could summon something for this. I, I like his chances to do something like that more than I do like his chances to go, you know, like win the Wells Fargo or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, PGA Tour golf at this point doesn't seem to be that well suited for Phil. You had a golf yeah. that's going to, you know, heavily emphasize ball striking and knowing where to leave the ball and can, you know, can maybe rely on a hot putter seems more realistic than like, you know, birdie fest golf. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, he, he went to the U.S. Open right after PGA and he was hitting a two wood from like 300 in within the first three holes. And you're like, well, this is, yeah, this is how you follow that up. I thought Shane Ryan, Shane Ryan, I mentioned him in the book. He's, he's, uh, he's a writer for Golf Digest, somebody that I really look up to a lot in terms of just his his craft, like how good he is at it. And he had a really good take about Phil during the U.S. Open that Phil has always been kind of the the, the people's champ, which is hilarious about somebody that drinks like forty thousand dollar bottles of wine. He, You're like, oh yeah, he's a he's made himself he's a man of people. I don't know how he's done it, man, but he has done it's, it. It's absurd. Yeah, it's crazy. But um, he, he's always been kind of the people's champ to tiger being like a God. And he was like, I'm butchering this, but Shane Ryan basically said, it's kind of cool that Phil has this huge like flaw that he doesn't have that U S open because it almost serves to make him more endearing. It makes him not, if he had them all, he would be a God and he's never been a God within the sport. And I thought that was a really cool take. And I think that I actually think that's what I'm rooting for because I think it almost makes him, have more depth and be more interesting when we look back and, and talk about him over the next 20 years. He only earned world ranking points in seven events in 2021. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a T was one of them. The, 
Was one the bone saw? Uh, he did not. No world ranking points for that. He got a T53 at the Farmers, uh, T35 at the Players, which is actually pretty impressive. T25 at the Honda, T21 at the Masters. He won the PGA, T62 at the US Open, and a T17 at the uh, FedEx St. Jude. And sorry, and a, a T36 at the Fortinet. That's that's it. But if I look, if I go pull up, you know, say the top 25 rankings in the world, whose stock changed in either way in your mind in this past year? Who who do you view differently here in December of 2021 than you did in the in December 2020? I'll I'll start if you want a second to think about it. Yeah, More, yeah, go ahead. Morikawa. That that's the one that's like. I just don't know if we've, looking internally, done enough to properly emphasize what this rise has been like, what he, what he's what he's done. I mean, he was a major winner at this time a year ago, but now a two-time major winner, two wins, major wins in your first eight starts, and you know, winning, clipping off, or clicking off, as Tiger would say, a couple other events <laughs> along the way. That's the one that I'm like, we might be looking. I mean, potentially, of course, if I could put too much weight on him, like could be looking like a top ten player of all time. Truly. I mean, he's, according to Tron, he's going to win eight majors. I, I so. saw that in the book, which was a fantastic pull. I actually, I don't know if I told you this. I set uh, a calendar reminder for end of July, 2026, just to check, just to check in on how that <laughs> prediction's looking. <laughs> I have a bet with, uh, I have a bet with Mark Immelman on the First Cut podcast that JT is going to win uh, 25 events in the 2020s. And uh, I like to make bets that are, that are like, decades into the future so that yeah just forget and then if they don't i'll have a calendar reminder to like that if it works out in my favor i'll definitely remind them so uh this is such an interesting question i think more is 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 probably the right answer but i'll throw i'll throw uh i'll throw sam burns at you i think i think burns like homa has um like it's crazy how much better he's gotten year over year for like three or four straight years that's that's homa's story right i think i think burns is better at golf than max homa right right now um but the ability to improve year over year like that and he's we were talking about this the other day sam burns is younger than or he's the exact same age as will zalatoris they were born a month apart which it doesn't really feel like that to me i think that i think about him differently I definitely think about Morikawa this time last year felt like this is just an off the top of my head example. He felt a little like Jim Furyk, like, oh yeah, he's going to be really good. Um, <laughs> you and the cat putting the Furyk moniker on, uh, on Morikawa. Yeah, I just, I saw that the other day and that's just, but, but what I'm actually saying with that is um, he's going to have that one-off major and maybe have a chance at another. But now that he's won two out of eight, you're like, wait a second, is this just... Uh, like an unequal distribution where they happen up front and and then it doesn't happen for a long time, kind of like what we've seen with Rory's career, or is it uh, is it going to be at something equivalent to this clip for an extended period of time? I think that's very different than how I felt about him last year. And then I think the last one is is maybe um, is is Bryson and. Th- it's it's the way that I think about him differently is different than a way, the way I think about those other two differently. I'm less inclined to say that he's going to thrive. Like after he won the U.S. Open last year, I was like, this is a problem. Like he's going to be a real problem. And I still think that, but I'm not totally sure if it's going to work as well as he wants it to at major championships. Yeah. I think it's a select few. I think the Masters is a problem for him. I think he's realized that, and I think it's a little bit in his head. I think the Green Readings book, that that's another interesting development for Bryson for next year. Because like, Augusta is, you know, obviously famously doesn't allow Green Readings book, Greens reading books, whatever you want to call them. And uh, <laughs> he has not done well there in the last two iterations of that. And even with this new playing style, I think that's a problem for him. I think U.S. Opens are going to work pretty nice for him yeah i think they're gonna work great select pgas might opens i don't think necessarily will work great for him but i think pga tour wise he's you know he's still gonna do a lot of damage but i i i don't think this this i'm with you i don't think this design is the best for 
for uh you know what it's interesting reading a lot about the brooks bryson stuff in in your book as well had me thinking of like dude i don't like either of these guys i don't like nothing about them makes me you know you know brooks kind of too cool for school attitude isn't endearing i don't have we don't have enough time remaining here to all the things about bryson that aren't endearing you know what's interesting (laughs) I think I I root for both of them on the golf course. Yeah. Like I I would root for Brooks Kepka over Paul Casey any day of the week. Like I think it's just more interesting when he's in the picture. And even, you know, you talk we kind of have forgotten about the fact that he wasn't really supposed to play golf this year. Yeah. Like he his doctors were saying he should have basically taken the year off recovering from the knee surgery he had and he was playing at the Masters putting his booty up in the air in, in at Augusta <laughs> 3 weeks after it and <laughs> Uh, climbing up the hill on 13 <laughs> yeah and, and you know you think back to just him actually inserting himself in the major championship picture this past year especially at the pga like man a healthy one he might have he might have clicked off number five there and if we get to five which i think i don't have no reason to think he won't win another major we're talking about this guy's career in a whole different way i still think we might be underrating brooks's career yeah, he, I mean, the it, it, one of the things that stood out, honestly, because it came up in every, every time a major was played, his major scoring uh, oh my what, God. numbers over the last, I remember this distinctly, it was, it was uh, the open shape, so it was the last major of the year, and I think Jay Ray had this, the stat, and of course he did, it was like, it was, I'm making, I think I'm making this up, but it's something close to this, it was like, over the last four years, Xander's 22 under um, at majors, DJ's 23 under Hideki's 24 under. I don't know if those are the three guys. Brooks is 85 under. And you're like, (laughs) that looks like a typo. Like it was, it was like 22, 23, 24, 85. Yeah. And I, I loved your, I thought what you said about him, I think it was at the PGA was really insightful about, you can say whatever you want about him. He wears these hats that look like quilts. Uh, KVV said it looks like a ransom note, which was like, it's all pieced together, which was the the funniest thing ever. Uh, But he shows up and he plays big time golf at the events that matter. And you and I were on the same page with this. I finally at Tory was like, I threw my hands up in the air after he'd finished in the top 10 in like 16 out of 20 majors. And I'm like, I think Brooks might play well this week. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> c- congratulations, golf analyst, on not being a moron during a major week. So you got there. Yeah, I, I after four years of it, I I, I finally arrived to uh, to that conclusion. And to your to you know what we talked about in the beginning too, T two, T four, T six at the last three majors of the year, and the other one he could barely walk at, like. Dude, that's 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 a freakish kind of performance. And again, just kind of emphasizing what you know those tournaments meaning that much more um and being one of the just again i think it is so it makes it easier to look back at these last five years or so with that perspective of how much we appreciate that knowing how badly we want it for rory and spieth as resident rory and spieth homers like how pumped we'd be if rory went t2 t4 t6 in the majors and like had legitimate shots to win them they'd be like oh my okay this is a development. Here we go. And when Brooks does it, it's kind of like, eh, all right, didn't win one this year. Like, what the hell happened here? The Jay Ray stat that uh, I don't know if it's still rang true by the end of the year that Rory and Brooks had the same oh. scoring average on the weekend in major since 2017, where Brooks clipped off four and Rory had zero. That was, that was tough to look at. It was tough to stomach. I tried to get Jason Page, my illustrator, to do the thing from Castaway with the, with the volleyball and Tom Hanks as like, I tried to get him to to graft our faces into that on Spieth Island. He wouldn't, he refused to do it. I tried to fire him. It was a whole thing. Can he do that just privately for us? I want to hang that in my office. I, uh, you know, one thing that came up, I've only got like 10 more minutes, but we could go for 10 more hours. One thing that came up, uh, as I was actually talking about the Ryder cup, I realized Spieth cause Spieth was, um, kind of the adult in the room at the Ryder Cup at, in the press conference, which was, you know, with Weird. DJ doing DJ stuff yeah. and everybody else just out of their minds. He's only 28. Yep. He's he's like five years younger than Rory even. Um, of course, we end up talking about Spieth here. I, the question I was going to ask you is if you had to bet your life, like in 15 years, if if what you're stating right now doesn't come true, then your life's over. Uh that 
Brooks would win another major or Rory would want to win another major or both would or neither would which one which corner would you be on oh my god Porter put my life on the line with this I mean geez my, my instinct answer and I, I still would I want to think about that more my instinct would say only Brooks yeah yeah that that I think would be my instinct what 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 would you say to that I think I would say neither hmm Man, majors are, you know, I, I, brought up the, I brought up the, the data golf guys a lot in the book, much to, to Tron and, and Neil's chagrin, I'm sure. Their website's amazing. They do such good work. I wanted to give them some attention and, and you know, publicity or whatever, not that a million people are going to read the book. But, uh, you know, they, I, I talked to them in the middle of the year and they said that they projected like their expected major win rate or expected total majors won for John Rahm, who is tiger levels of good to start his career, not exaggerating those numbers, uh, was like 2.6 or something like that. 2.3 is like, what's in the book, yeah. 2.3, okay. Uh, and you're like, how? how's that? How? How's that possible? And it's like, you know, one of the things that that I really thought about a lot as I went back through all this is, man, things change so, so quickly. Like even thinking about, well, after at the, the first quarter of the year, like, well, Patrick Reed's got to be on the Ryder Cup team. And then things changed in a hurry right at the end of the year. After the PGA, it was like, oh, Phil's definitely going to be on the Ryder Cup team. Things change in a hurry. And I, I think, did not say that. I was very much not. I was not in that camp. I was not in that <laughs> I think Davis Love tried to give him a, a yes. bag like after and the I, I called that out immediately when it happened. I want to take credit for that if I bet. But all that stuff just it changes so quickly. And what feels like an inevitability right now that Rory or Brooks would win another major. I just I don't know. I, I don't know that you gain and this goes back to our more Kawa conversation from after the open. I don't know that as your career goes on, you gain the things that you need to win more major championships, which is almost like this childlikeness, like Morikawa had at the open to go do the thing on the weekend that, that, that you've done before. It's so hard to maintain that. And I don't know, it's going to be, that's going to be one of the more interesting storylines going, going into the next, you know, two, three, four years. You mentioned things changing quickly. I just did a little quick data golf search and just said top. So it only, this is only going to include if you're still in the top 150 in the world today, you would show up on this list. If you're not in the top 150, you're not going to show up on this list. But the top players in the world at the end of 2016, just going back five years, can you even guess who the number one, the number one data golf player was at the end of 2016? For, uh, like for, for January 1, 2016 to? To the end, to December, uh, end of December, 2016. 2016. Uh, uh, it, is it somebody ridiculous? Yeah, a little. I just would. I honestly would have taken me a long time to guess it. Like not one of the top whatever players in the world anymore for sure. Jimmy Walker, Jason Day. Oh uh, like, yeah. Granted, he was always injury riddled, but like it, it wasn't like imagine that guy not being a top player in the world five years from now. I think you could kind of see that coming, but yeah, uh, it's 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 a lot more constant list than I than you'd think. But Day, Rory, DJ, Hideki. Spieth, Adam Scott, Paul Casey, Sergio, Kepka, Ricky, Kucher, Rose, Rom, Snedeker. Um, Sergio, things- under underrated career. Unbelievably underrated. So good for so long. And that came out. I love that that came out during the Ryder Cup, which shockingly we haven't talked about yet. But uh, <laughs> people said, or somebody on Twitter, and I included this in the book, said, uh, I, it was such a great quote, Sergio is who everybody thought or thinks Ian Poulter is at the Ryder yeah. Cup. He's, his career has been just – I'm glad that he won a major because I think it it gives some depth to a career that's been super underrated. Where What's Rory's stock? Let's just do uh, for our homerisms, last two things as we end the year here. Rory and, and Spieth's stock heading into the, into the new year. Where are we at? Buying or selling? I have uh, – I'm selling Rory and buying Spieth. Mm. I'm buying Rory. I know that. I, I really do think – I think things are going to get a lot better for Roy next year. So I just, man, I remember at, at uh, Royal St. George's, I was like, I don't, I'm not, I've refused to, it's, it's the opposite of what I did with Brooks. I'm like, I, I refuse to buy into this anymore. 
the the Rory's coming stuff and no offense, but like <laughs> I, I'm I'm like I'm I'm the sucker here. Like I keep buying into the fact that Rory's gonna 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 do it at a major and it's just it's it's not there. I, I do think that I think and I go into this pretty deep in the book. You probably haven't gotten to this point, but Rory is somebody who I think at times, because he's very self-aware and relatively humble for the position that he's in, I think he struggles with self-confidence because I think he looks at the people around him. He's got so many people around him and he's like, man, I want to validate their belief in me, right? I want to validate them believing in me because I do care about them. I do actually care about all of this, which we saw at the Ryder Cup and he 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 struggles with that self confidence, but then there are moments when he he receives it. He received it at Portrush. Remember, he's yeah. trying to make the cut, and he's like, "Oh my gosh!" Like these people believe in me, and he went on a just a tear at the end of twenty nineteen. I think he won twice, like eight top tens in his last ten events, and I think we're seeing a little bit of that happening right now because at the Ryder Cup this year it was like oh my gosh, like, even though I don't believe in myself, sometimes these people believe in me. And that is, that's a meaningful thing. And I think that we're seeing kind of the fruit of that, which is him maybe going on a little bit of a terror heading into uh, to 2022. Does that make sense? I, yeah. Yeah. I think he was playing such great golf before the pandemic hit. Like he was the best, like by far the best player in the world and just hasn't been the same yeah. since then. And uh, for that reason, he's, you know, a little bit more time under his, you know, under his belt as far as being a dad and kind of getting into the flow of those things. And Spieth just recently having a kid, it's a variable and it's, it's immeasurable. It's, you know, your life changes and it's, it's just because you know, this much better than, than I do. Having <laughs> than <zero>. most people. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's a variable and it, I don't want to, I, I think, I think I'm holding Spieth stock. I'm not selling it. But I think it's it's not unreasonable to say there might be some fluctuation going on in 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 future months, and golf probably is not the biggest priority for him. So, one of my biggest takeaways in going back and reading everything was how good that quote was that he had on this podcast about money. Yeah. Like I, I remember in the moment thinking, and if people haven't listened to it, go back. I think it's in May you interviewed him mm-hmm. right after he won Texas Texas Open, right after the Masters actually, and um he just talks about how like money as a human is such a crutch to, to, um, to like being great at your craft. And it's such, it's just like, it's this incredible quote, but I'm curious if what has been true of Rory is also now going to be true of Spieth, which is that like when you're 21, 22, 23, you don't know any better. You can go win a masters. You can go win a U.S. open. You can go win at Burtdale. Is that is is that going to be true when you're 30, 31 and you have so many different things built up? You start having kids, you're a corporation, all these different things. Is he going to be able to to find the balance of all that in a way that Rory hasn't at major championships? The balance of like the Padraig thing, innocence and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know the answer. I hope he does because it's so fun when he's in it. <laughs> um, but I, I don't I don't know what the answer to that question is. The beauty is we're going to find out. I doubted him last year. I I, uh, I denied him three times, and he, he had a resurging <laughs> year. So I'll, I'll I'll do it again just to, as motivation for him. So, so uh, that's so good. Know, hey, uh, can I can I do yeah. a uh, can I do a giveaway for your please? Listeners? That'd be okay. wonderful. So if you want to buy the book, um, it's coming out. I don't know when this. Whenever you are listening to this, it's already out. You can go to anormalsport.com. <laughs> a normal sport.com. And, uh, that's where you can buy it. So it's, it's very easy to just click through buy the PDF. You can read it on Kindle. You can read it on iBooks. You can read it on your computer. You can read it wherever you want. Uh, but if you use the, uh, if you use NLU at checkout, I feel like I'm doing an ad read. I'm not I'm just <laughs> saying this. If you use NLU, the code NLU at checkout, you'll get, uh, 19% off in honor of the U S is, uh, Epic, what did what did Phil call it? The Ryder Cup win? A beatdown of epic proportions. A beatdown of epic proportions. The U.S. put up 19 points. You get 19 percent off. And not only that, but if you if you use that code, um, I'll, I'm going to do a I'm going to spend some money at the uh, at the the uh, pro shop, the NLU pro shop, and I'll do uh, two two hundred dollar uh, gift card giveaways uh, wow, on 
Yeah, on uh, December 14th. So you've got about a week uh, to get involved, to buy it, uh, to check it out. And 19% off, you'll be automatically, you don't have to do anything. You'll just be in that. And I'll announce those people on uh, on Twitter. So there you go. Well, thank you for writing the book. Thank you for telling us about it. Thank you for recapping another fantastic year of golf. And uh, we will have to do it again soon, bud. Absolutely. Thanks, Sal. I appreciate it. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.